Before we get to the podcast this week, did you know that Bomb's Chevrolet Buick is focused? Did you know this? They're focused on treating customers right from the start. Since 1928, Bomb has been guiding Central Illinois drivers through the car buying and servicing process, helping you make the right choices for you. Visit us today and be treated like family at Bomb Chevy Buick. The website is bomb, B-A-U-M, ChevyBuick.com. And a reminder, if you buy a car, truck, van, anything new or used from Bomb, you get a free lifetime subscription to Dirt on Dirt and Flow Racing. We have now sold three cars for Bomb as part of this promotion. And seriously, Will and Janelle and the entire team at Bomb, are, they're seriously incredible. They are amazing people. They have been awesome partners for us, and we hope that we can sell 100 cars and trucks and vans for them because uh, not only do you get the free subscription for life, but they're seriously they're just good people, and uh, we like dealing with good people. All right, here we go. And most importantly, welcome to DirtOnDirt.com. This is the Rigsby Report for the final week of September 2020, and it has been a minute, uh, no doubt, since I've sat in this podcasting seat. It was Billy Moyer all the way back in July. Uh, not that rare for podcasts and video casts at Dirt on Dirt and Flow to slow down in the heat of the racing months, which always happens. Uh, but we've been trying some stuff this year, and I hope you noticed. And what I mean by that is when I sold the company to Flow Sports about a year ago, which is impossible to believe that it's been a year already. I knew that we'd have more resources and more just minds to work on projects. An example of that being the Road to Eldora series that we debuted back in August. This incredibly in-depth, cross-country dive into the sport of dirt late model racing. But to do that kind of stuff, you got to focus on it. And people seem to have loved it. So I'm glad we did. The social reaction and everything was incredible to the Road to Eldora. But I say all of that to say it's hard to do all things. It's hard to podcast. It's hard to do the road to Eldora. It's hard to do all of that at the same time. And now that the season is sort of hitting that stretch where it's slowing down a little bit, uh, you'll start to hear me more. And you'll start to hear Suave more on the podcast and the video cast and, and some other new stuff that we've got coming on the horizon well. Uh, on the horizon as well. So I just wanted to kind of give you guys a heads up on that. More Rigsby Report, more Suave Talk, all that stuff coming. But once we kind of got through the heat of August, then we got into the Road to Eldora and then the Intercontinental, and we had to tie those things up and and work on those. But uh, we're back and uh, hopefully back more regularly here soon. I am very, very excited about today's guest and Tim McCready. Uh, during my entire career, Timmy is sort of this, for me personally anyway, this bastion of truth. If you want an honest answer, you go to T-Mac. Now, I'm not going to say that he and I always agree on everything, and I agree with what he considers to be his honest assessment. Uh, him and I have had our disagreements, but it wasn't ever because neither of us was being truthful. Uh, we are super honest with each other as we see the world from our perspective of honesty, and I think that's why he and I have had a really strong relationship for, God, 13 or 14 years now. Him and I were talking about that during the interview, just how wild it is, how long him and I have known each other. Uh, this one, once again, is a really powerful, honest, open interview, and I think you're going to love it. Uh, it really is. I'd probably put it in top two or three that I've done on the Rigsby Report so far. A few things before I get to T-Mac, though, a few thoughts that I have. I had this whole thing. I don't really do scripts for these, but I have like bullet points and notes that I wanted to hit on. Um, and this first one is about exhaustion and people being tired. Let me let me hit my bullet points first, and then I have I may have already changed my mind about what my bullet points are. Uh, it, I wanted to start by saying this: people are more tired than I thought. And what I mean by that is, we went from never knowing if we were going to race again in March and April to guys like Dennis Herb Jr. are still going to race ninety times this year. Incredible what him and Heather are going to do. And my staff, working as much as they ever have, I don't think anyone saw that coming. And it's almost like this unexpected tired that the racing industry is in. No one thought they could get to this level of exhaustion this year because when I spoke with drivers and crews at Eldora a couple weeks ago, there was a lot of long faces. And they admitted to me, man, we're worn down and we didn't, we didn't think that was going to happen this year. You know, whether it's fans or drivers or, or people who buy broadcasts or crews, I'm sensing a little more burnout this year at this point in September than I think I expected. 
Um, now I say all that, and then I look at Brownstown's crowd and everything this past weekend. There's 60 cars there, and more people at the Jackson County Fairgrounds than I maybe have ever seen there. So on one hand, everyone's telling me they're tired. On the other hand, 60 cars and thousands of fans are showing up in throngs still at these places. So which is it? Are they tired or are they feeling like we need to race because we feel like we might be shut down again? I think it's, I think it's somewhere in the middle on that, and I'm not exactly sure where. But it's just an interesting dynamic that I wanted to hit on. Uh, secondly, I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast on Monday, as I do every week, and it sparked an idea for me is he was talking about his top 10 quarterbacks, and he's a huge Tom Brady guy, So, but he was saying, there's 10 guys I'd rather have than Tom Brady right now. And I was thinking, so I got to thinking about uh, a list for myself. If I could only go watch races at 10 tracks the rest of my life, gun to my head, I can only choose 10 tracks the rest of my life, where would I go? So I got my list. Um, I start Eldora, number one, obvious for me. Actually, you know what? These aren't ranked. They're not ranked 1 through 10, but here are my 10 as I was rattling them off. Eldora, for obvious reasons. You can say whatever you want about the racing at Eldora. Some people are critical of it, but the racing, first of all, is very capable of being excellent. Second of all, it's Eldora. Uh, it is when the racing there is good, it, is, it, it, it just matters there more than anywhere. When something big happens at Eldora, it's Eldora. And it's still the epicenter of the dirt late model world. Eldora's on the list. Falls is second for me. Uh, Fairbury, you can call me a homer. Yes, I'm from Fairbury. Just grew up miles away from the racetrack at Fairbury. Um, but it, it's still one of the five raciest tracks in America and still has an incredible environment that you can't really replicate anywhere in the country. Knoxville. I know it's the sprint car capital of the world, it, but it's, it's kind of like Eldora. Things mean more when they happen at Knoxville. That Burkhoffer last lap passed on Bloomquist, all that kind of stuff. When you win a race at Knoxville, it means more. And oh, by the way, the racing is incredibly good there. Hobstadt, Tri-State, uh, fourth on my list. Uh, again, not ranked, just fourth on my list. Pound for pound, there are not many racetracks better than Tri-State. Just sheer elbows up on the wheel racing. There are not many places in this country better than Hobstadt. I-80. The dirt, the prep, whatever, the racing is typically amazingly good. I-80 went from this place that late model fans kind of knew about a decade ago. Like, yeah, it's a sprint car place. There's a lot of outlaw races there. To now it is a fixture, top five or six event in the country, the Silver Dollar Nationals, I-80. If I'm only going to get to go to 10 places the rest of my life, I-80 is going to be one of them. Florence. Um, Florence is, to me, so different than what it used to be, too. Florence is I call Eldora the geographic or I call Eldora the late model epicenter of the world. Florence I always say the geographical epicenter of the world. You can be in Chicago in four and a half hours. You can be in uh, where Jimmy Owens lives in four and a half hours. It is just this dead center location. The racing, what Josh has done to the racetrack, him and his, his God bless Jerry, uh, we miss him, his dad did to the racetrack to turn it into this, what was black ice, now into this like cushion banging, amazing experience. And the way the grandstand sit at Florence, you are right on top of the racetrack. Uh, Florence, it just means more at Florence too. Cedar Lake, uh, I got two upper Midwest tracks as my next two. Long, nearly 30 year history of the USA Nationals. Seven, 8,000 people that go to the USA Nationals. The, the, the driver intros, the, the, I, I think the shape of Cedar Lake is something to me that makes it so good. It's, it's, it's one of those racetracks that's shaped correctly. And it's one and two is a little different than three and four. But it's just when you think about major dirt late model racing events, I think about Cedar Lake and the racing's always good too, or typically good. Another upper Midwest track in Minnesota, Deer Creek. I, rarely in my life I've ever seen video or attended a poor race at Deer Creek. It's always good. That family up there that runs it knows what they're doing. They treat people well and they pull through the gate. It's one of them black dirt ovals. Deer Creek on my top 10. I got two more. Uh, one, Another one in Illinois. I put Macon on this list just because if you've never been to Macon and you've never seen it, a first time or like if somebody from Georgia rolled up to Macon, they would be like, you got to be shitting me. This place is a go-kart track. It is so small but it's high banked, it's black dirt, Sarge always has it right. It is one of the raciest tracks in the country, and it's like Thunderdome, man. It's this tiny little place that you cannot believe it until you see it. So again, I only get to go to 10 places the rest of my life I'm going to make it as one of them. Lastly, East Bay. I have an odd relationship with East Bay. Um, 
East Bay to me, right, old school speed weeks, this wet mud slinging, stick the mud to the wall kind of place. A guy can go back to 24th and come back through the field. Then it went through this weird period when I started Dirt on Dirt where it got black and slick and really sandy a lot. And the racing wasn't that good for a few years. And now it's just East Bay just overwhelms you, right? Um, what does James Essex say? East Bay never disappoints. And you go there for six nights. It's incredibly warm weather. It's, it is, Volusia's great, don't get me wrong, but East Bay is for late model people, right? Volusia's more of this speed weeks type. East Bay is about late model racing. And the racing's been so good. It, it, the guys can't steer, and it's hilarious to watch these professional race car drivers try to race it, but it's still good. And I get six nights out of it, so I'm cheating here a little, so I would put it on my list too. So Eldora Falls, Knoxville, Hobstadt, I-80, Florence, Cedar Lake, Deer Creek, East Bay, Macon. Two honorable mentions for me, by the way, were Port Royal and River Cities. I think if I can only put two on the honorable mention list, I put them on there. Um, yeah, so that's it. I want, I want to share those few thoughts because I, I make notes through the week. I sit at my desk and make notes on some things uh, that I want to talk about, and I wanted to get to those notes. Uh, next time I do a, a Rigsby Report, I'll get to B-Mains. I got ripped on Twitter for saying we need to replace the B-Mains, but I have a thought about that. Todd, actually, Todd Turner's got the best thought. It's The B-Mains look too much like the heats, right? It's like, okay, here's these four heat races that are 10 laps. Now here's two more of those that are 10 laps. I think I'd prefer like a 23-car, 20-lap, take six B-Main. Make it like seem different, like a true B-Main. Anyway, we can flush that out uh, next time. <laughs> we can flush that out on the next Rigsby Report. Let's get to it. Just an incredible interview with Tim McCready. Joining me now on the Integra Shocks and Springs Hotline is a guy that my dad once called, quote, the most exciting race car driver he has ever seen. That's the Barry Rigsby seal of approval for T-Mac. It's Tim McCready, who's just won $15,000 at Brownstown this past weekend, the Jackson 100. Timmy, one other thing that I wanted to touch on as it pertains to my dad, he also calls you still, he's one of the young guys. He's one of the young guys. I said, I reminded my dad the other day, I go, you know, Timmy is 46 years old now, but my father, I think, hit on something, Tim. For whatever reason, I think you will forever be viewed as one of the young guys. Why Why do you think that is? Uh, I mean, I think, uh, fortunately for me, I look a lot like my mother and she she looks really young still to this day in her, in her mid sixties, late sixties. So, uh, that's probably it. And also I, I just, it's, you know how this game is. We've been around a long time. Uh, when new blood starts coming in and things start changing a little bit, I guess in the probably early to mid two thousands, uh, that was me. I was, that was the guy that kind of came in and nobody really knew much about me. And, and I guess like your dad said, he must've liked the way I drove. And, uh, <laughs> I was exciting enough to have some fans that, crossed over from modified and things like that and uh i don't know i mean uh i appreciate the fact that he thinks i'm a young guy but uh when i try to get up in the morning after 12 hours or 15 hours of driving home and all that i uh i definitely feel my age but uh you know it's uh i don't feel like it when i get in that race car because i try to drive like i was 20 still my first, you touched on it a little bit, but my first knowledge of you was reading about you in the racing papers and what you were doing in the Northeast, but you really popped on my radar screen as kind of a late model guy, like you said, in the mid 2000s, when you left big blocks, you came to late model racing. And I honestly don't think since Scott Bloomquist in the late eighties, when Scott came from California with that long hair and really nobody since you has had a big of an impact, just wow wise as you did. You're this young kid with this blonde hair, this curly kind of longish hair. You know, your first late model race was 02 at the Johnny Appleseed Classic in Eldora. You're flashy, your driving styles up on the wheel, and you were kind of in people's faces, not personally, just the way you drove and your hairstyle and everything. You were immediately good, so it backed up all that other stuff. What do you remember most about that kind of bursting onto the late model scene time? What do you remember most about that time in your career? Well, I think for me, I was uh, fortunate because because I'd gotten to know a lot of guys just based off of, because we would cross over in Volusia and, and some other places throughout the season, whether it was Eckerd or, uh, you know, all the guys up north, uh, Chubb, Frank, and all of them. We kind of knew each other a little, but, but didn't. And, and um, you know, I come from New York, and, and Eckerd comes from Pennsylvania, and, and I guess you call it a lot of good-natured ribbing, and, and <laughs> I guess it's really picking on each other. It's probably not nice, but, like, where we come from, like, it's a sign of uh, – you know, you're really getting better with people if they really just beat you into the ground over and over again, which I know you guys <laughs> are from Chicago area and, and Illinois, you know what I'm talking about. So it's like, um, as I went and did this, they, they just took me under their wing and, and, uh, and made fun of my hair, which I mean, 
I, I don't really get bothered by anything anybody says to me because I, I, as a kid growing up, I was wacky and different and, and uh, played sports and, you know, all the, all my buddies still pick on me today. I've been doing Zoom meetings since the coronavirus with probably 10 of my high school friends, which we <laughs> hadn't probably touched base in 20 years and uh, feels like it's no different. They've, they've, they basically keep getting on me because I don't acknowledge that they're the reason we're winning and things like that and, and stuff. So, you know, when I, when I did it, it was just, when you're young, man, you just don't even know what you're doing. I'm out there and I'm thinking, Oh, late model car. Let's go try that. That's no big deal. And, uh, <laughs> we would go and we do it. And we, I think I spun out warming the tires up at Hagerstown the first time I got in it. And, uh, just crazy things, man. It's, um, it's been a wonderful ride, but, uh, definitely, uh, I don't know how we backed it up. I guess it's just a testament to the guys and me and everybody that we're just, sometimes you just don't know any better when you're young, man. You don't even realize what you're doing. Do you, do you think back to that 04, 05, 06 period often? Do you, do you think back and like, not necessarily things you would have done different or anything like that, but I mean, you really were a freaking tidal wave, man. When you came in, the way you drove, the look you had, um, do you, do you reminisce about that era in your career or you just kind of head down and don't think about it? It all depends. I mean, you know, I think this whole uh, three months off gave probably a lot of people yeah. time to reflect a little bit and, and just kind of sit around and keep from going crazy. And uh, <laughs> like I said, you touch base with people you hadn't seen in years and, and they talk about things like that. And uh, when I look back at really the first year I went late model racing full time, which was the first year of the, the startup uh, restart up of the World of Outlaws, um, and, and this is just my MO, man. I, I, I was very frustrated how that year went because, and it's crazy. We found things on the car that we weren't doing right that we did all year long. And lo and behold, the next year we come out in 05 and win like seven or eight outlaw shows and have like nine seconds and all these things. And it's like, we could have really made a bigger splash. That's, and I don't know if that makes me better because I think like that, but that's, <laughs> I feel disappointed in that first year because like we didn't win any races. And then a year later, Josh Richards comes out as a rookie and wins. And, and that's, you know, that's what you want to do. I mean, winning races, man, is, uh, is what I feel like I've been put on, uh, put on in this division and on the world to do. And that, that's what I love doing. I say this all the time about guys like Kyle Larson and obviously Tony Stewart has admitted this also that racing dirt for them is more fun. They basically have said that NASCAR is more of a financial thing for them, right? But they love racing dirt. I a similar line of thought for me is I wonder for you sometimes with big blocks if everything was equal, would you have stayed in big block racing? And I might be making an assumption here, but I think you have more fun big block racing. And if all things were equal, you'd be a professional big block driver. Am I right about that or not? I think you are today. I think, I think when I did it, like I was single and I was going all over the country and, and all my friends were my age. So if it was 1130 and the race got over with and then the local bar was a 10 miles down the road, we could stop there and enjoy ourselves and still have enough energy the next day to, to do whatever. And, and, um, now as things have changed, you know, you, it's not that, and I love late mile racing, like these races we've had this year and the big shows and the, they were so hard for me to start winning the big ones. And, and once I got a couple, it's so exciting to do. And, uh, but I love the modified. I mean, I really do. Cause that's, it's just like, going back to your hometown with the big blocks i go there and everybody in the pit area isn't mad at me and they're not <laughs> worried about me sharing information and they're not worried about where i'm parking and who's saving me a spot or if i'm saving somebody a spot or, or whatever all those uh things we get into when we run down the road uh but i wouldn't trade what i'm doing for nothing right now um i, I definitely uh have learned to uh have a better outlook on a lot of things and, and i know it sounds crazy because once we're at the track i uh I definitely don't really, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I joke around, but it's more serious. I, I'm a lot more serious than people probably think of the track when it's going on. But 20 minutes after, once I let all the demons out, I can uh, get back to normal and have some fun. You told me one time at Florence, and I, you and I really laughed about this. You said, you know what, Rigsby, I'm getting a little older and a little crabbier. I'm a little bit younger than you, but I, I told you I'm also getting older <laughs> and crabbier. I do think there's something about, you touched on it a little bit. There's something about short track racing that just wears on you. And whether you want it to or not, I know the fans are going to sit at home and listen and go, I don't want to listen to Rigsby and McCready bitch about this shit. But I, I think there's something about short track racing that just grinds on you a little bit. So I say all that to ask you, are you still having fun, man? Do you still enjoy doing this? Is this more of a career now? Where is the fun meter for you right now? Um, I mean, it's definitely different than what it used to be. And that's just 
uh, fortunately, no matter what we all want to believe, you have to grow up. I mean, yeah. when I was when I was in my early twenties, and and even when I was racing late models in my thirties, I've told people, I don't think anybody's been um, stayed young as far as in their brain and doing things as I have. Like, and and some of the people I hung out with, I mean, to this day, the the, the people I started off uh, hanging out with, which is Shane, Dale McDowell, obviously Robbie Allen and, and Eckerd and all these guys, uh, Mark Richards helped us out and all these people. It was, we still all connect just like, just like it was when I first come around. And, um, every once in a while as an older person, I make a mistake and think I can stay out with the, some of these younger guys or, or just maybe even hang out with them. And then the next day I realize, <laughs> you know, you got to grow up. And, and so it's, uh, it's not that it grinds on me. I just think that sooner or later you got to grow up. And, and, and unfortunately, uh, probably my, like I said, in my late twenties, I wouldn't even open mail for months on end. So <laughs> it would be like, well, there's a bunch of mail piled over here. Let's see what it is. And, oh, by the way, you, you owe a thousand dollars, uh, your truck payments three months late. And, and it wasn't, I didn't have the money. It was just no big deal. I was out there just doing it and I was worried about racing and that's all I cared about. And, uh, now, you know, two kids and a wife and, and, uh, I'm scared to death if uh, if I even have to wait a week to pay a bill late. So it's it's just you know life. I think everybody goes through it, but uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I enjoy figuring race cars out and and enjoy the people, or I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. I, I honestly would go do something else if I didn't like it. What is the worst mail uh, uh, violation you've had? I mean, three months on a truck payment. I'm I'm just envisioning like forty letters stacked up, and you just young McCready not caring at all. What is what is the most delinquent you've ever been because of a piece of a mail was not open? Do you remember? <laughs> well, that's that's probably about it. I mean, nowadays it's beautiful because you can put most of it on electronically. Right. Uh, back then, you had to handwrite checks and. I know when I quit, when I quit my job or while well, they gave me a volunteer layoff at the helicopter plant, when I was working at, when I was running modified and want to try full-time racing, I went racing for about a month and I had just cause the way things were going and how I lived, I, I've lived very meagerly when I was younger and I just had, I think I had like nine, nine or 10 weeks of checks that were just piled up on my dresser <laughs> that had never, never gone into the bank, you know? So it's, uh, uh... It, it, it just like, I don't, unfortunately i probably don't worry about money as much because it comes and goes i mean i worry about it for future for my kids and and everything around here but as far as personally um i don't have to have a lot like i got a beautiful house and and i have the same truck i bought when i went racing with sweeteners back in uh 2003 or 2002 wow. full-time it's got almost two hundred and twenty thousand miles on it and it's falling apart i had to put a battery in it yesterday <laughs> to, to get it to run again so it's uh you know, and, and, but, but my, my wife has a nice car and the kids are doing good. And, and that's, you know, I, I just, like I said, I'm okay. If anybody knows me really well, I, you know, you can see I can wear a set of shorts for 10 years and a pair of sneakers <laughs> and all that because, uh, I still have nice stuff. I just don't ever bring it out much because we don't leave the track very often. That's for sure. You've got nine wins this year, including three of which that paid 30000 or more. The Stream at Eldora, the North-South at Florence, then the I-80 redo here earlier this month. It's been a good year for you. And I don't want a racer's answer here. I really want a personal answer. Because if I ask you, hey, Tim, why have you been better this year? I am I, I don't think you're going to say this, but I'm worried you're going to say, well, things have just come together. I, I don't really want that answer. I want the honest answer of why have you tripled your win total this year from last year? Why is that happening? Well, I think, you know, I, you gotta be, you gotta look at it both ways. Uh, we have more people. I mean, I would be the first to tell you, and I was telling, uh, Robbie Allen, I've told him several times. I've told Tommy Greco, I, I've told most people that work for me or with me, I really never hired them. They were hired by our owners, uh, that I didn't really worry about it if they came and gone crew guys, like, honestly, like, cause I could always pick up the slack and I was just. I don't know if that's what made me successful, but I know for a fact it's probably made me unsuccessful at times because, <laughs> um, and I don't think it's an ego. It's just a, a mentality that like, you know what, if, if you don't want to be here, then you just go on and uh, look in the paper in a month or two and you'll see wins. And that's what I care about. And I've, I've just learned to, that's not the way to do it. I really, you know, you have to have everybody. And yeah. so when you start knocking off these wins, they, they forget like, how much it took when we were figuring out a shock program and figuring out different motors and figuring out crew guys. And, and, uh, they just remember that, uh, well, man, you just haven't won as much and it's never as easy as what it looks like on paper. 
whether you're taking provisionals or whether you're taking checkered flags, it, it doesn't make any difference. Everybody's working as hard as they can. It's just sometimes you don't know why it goes good. And, and honestly, like I thought years past, we had plenty of stuff lined up exactly like I thought that could win races. And this year we're winning them. And so I've learned that I obviously didn't know, didn't run the team good enough. That's really it falls on me, which is cool, but I obviously didn't put everybody in a position to succeed the right way. So that's what we're trying to do this year. I, I've taken a step back and let other people help decide uh, the team's future. And, um, you know, especially with Donald and Gina, I mean, they, they're open for anything, but also there is a nice feeling of being pulled back on things. Cause it's like, I've told Vic, my, my partner, we're still partners that uh, I, I've made a lot of mistakes on our sweeteners plus team that uh, I can't take back, but unfortunately uh, that probably held us back and, and it's not showing as much this year. Cause I probably don't have as much on my plate. I wanted to ask you about this. I hear a lot from older guys in the sport now about this group of young kids who don't respect anything. And, and I think what that's code for Tim is the, the cushion bangers, right? And don't get me wrong, those kinds of guys, can, they can run into people, and I'm not going to pretend that they can't. But to me, there's this weird, I don't know if resentment's the word, but like the Bobby Pierce's and Tyler Herbs of the world, I hear a lot about the older crew saying, well, it's just easier to bang the cushion. It's a lot harder to, to when we used to do it when the track is slick and slow, and that's they're not really that talented because they just bang the cushion and they run into guys. I want your opinion on that. Do you, do, are, do you feel that in the pit area? Is there this weird feeling about this younger cushion-pounding generation? Because I think you were that guy 15 years ago, and I think you did it cleanly, don't get me wrong. But is there this weird older generation resentment for these younger guys in a way because of the way the races go now? Uh, I don't know if it's a resentment. I just think when I grew up racing, like I tell a lot of people, I'm right in the middle. I, I, right. I wasn't around when Bloomquist first came and, and like Shannon Babb and I are in the same spot where we're yep. right in the middle of, and Matt and some of these guys, you're right in the middle. Well, when I first came around, uh, I've told this story several times. Um, Don O'Neill is very tough to race with. Like yeah. he'll, he'll, he'll run over you or run into you, but he can take it too. And, and, but, when he's feeling like he's been done wrong, there's a chance that you could get punched in the mouth at the end of the <laughs> night. And and that, that is what usually kept people in line. And and granted, it was a different world back then. You could walk down and draw a line in the sand. And if you wanted to go at it with the guy you had a problem with, you did. And there was no cops involved and no people really involved. And at the end of the day, you knew where you stood. And usually that ironed out a lot of the problems. Nowadays, it's, it's just not the world we live in. Uh, you got a lot of young guys that weren't probably allowed to race back then because it's just an age bracket thing. And yeah. now they come up and, and they drive hard. Uh, every one of them drives hard. And, but I mean, I've seen that everybody drive hard. The beauty of that is, is that you just, you just file things in the back of your mind. I mean, I've been on both sides. There's guys I've had problems with and guys that I haven't. And there's also, I don't dislike any of them. I just know that at the end of the day, if you feel like you've been done wrong, you just put it in the back of your brain. And when it comes up, Hopefully it's for bigger money when you're, when you're on the advantage, because unfortunately you can't go down there and settle things like you did in the mid eighties or early nineties and how my dad's guys did it and how my dad did it. It's just a different world. And as far as the cushion stuff, these cars allow us to do that. Right, now. Uh, right. Back when I started, you, you couldn't, you just couldn't. I drove uh, Pope Joy's double seater at uh Fairbury, I think <laughs> last year when I was there and I've driven it a couple of times and uh, I think it's like a, it's only a 2000 GRT with a pull bar and, I am telling you all over the place. I was like <laughs> wheel warping and feeling like I was going to crash and all this stuff. And they got out and they said, man, you did a good job. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe you didn't think we were going to crash because I'm driving this thing. And then I said, if, if we had to go back to driving the cars like that, you just couldn't do what we're doing right now. Right. And, and probably Billy Moyer would probably win every race again because the way he <laughs> drives is perfectly suited for them cars. And it's just different worlds. I mean, like I said, you, if you come check me out after a bad night, I might have a lot different to say about some of the guys. But, you know, as of today, sitting here in my kitchen, I, I feel okay. What is one thing that I, I've always wanted to ask you is what's one thing that late model drivers could learn from big block guys? And I'll ask you vice versa as well. But what's one thing that late model drivers could really learn from big block guys? I personally probably like. The starting, the way they do the, the lineups is really drives late model guys crazy. Um, I've been around when I grew up at Modifieds, you started 18. If you won one race on Friday night, they went back by money one for three weeks and you'd start 18 for two or three weeks in a 30 lap race. And 
and granted the talent wasn't as close as what the late models are. So I understand the point, but if it's a 50 lap race or hundred lap race, most times anymore, it doesn't really matter where you start, but boy, people get ate up about formats and all this. And, <laughs> and I do too. I mean, I, I get ate up when I see a format that people can just honestly understand that if you're doing a pill draw format with passing points, I hate to say it, but we all know how we're all running and we all yeah. know if you want to rank everybody one through 50, you could spread them out. Like I know that I drew one and Tyler drew two and, and Scott Bloomquist drew three. We don't have to all be in the same heat. It's it's really not fair. So let's spread them all out and race. But that's, you know, that's the only formats I get at about. Modified guys don't seem to worry about it. They're used to drawing 16 before a feature every big race they run. So they just don't seem to worry about starting position as much. What do you think that, what could big block guys take from late model guys? Or is there nothing? But surely there's something. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Um, the, uh, I don't really know. It's, it's weird. I go back a lot and, and uh, the modified guys, I think they could probably figure out that they don't need, they don't need to have late model people telling them how to, how to set up big blocks or how to run a big block team or whatever, because it's two different worlds. And uh, what works for late models doesn't always work for modifieds. And I think same thing. Like I think the, the deal up here when Glenn Donnelly did it when I was a kid and I first started racing is the best format for up here. It's yeah. You have to have weekend races for tracks to survive. Unfortunately, it's not like there's not enough touring cars to go around to, to support everything. So, you need the weekend races, and so that's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So then you need midweek races on top of that. And what you end up doing is you have to have a point deal that includes everybody. And Glenn Donnelly's point system allowed me to to quit my job, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. So um, I think that they need more of that, and they need to kind of disregard how late models are doing it because I don't think they understand the sheer crowds that we get. Like, and, and it's weird because like. I, I don't, you always think it's going to be, okay, this is all you're going to get. You can't fit nobody in here. And then all of a sudden you roll in the last weekend at, at uh, oh. the track where you just had the jacks. And, and like, there is so many campers that you can't even park. And, and it's like, where do they keep fitting these people? Yeah. They were Which hanging from off. the rafters. And I've been going to Brownstown yeah. since 88. That is as many people as I've ever seen there in my entire life. <laughs> yeah. So what I mean is like, the modified guys think they want, they need the same purses, which would be amazing, but the sure. Uh, ratio of people is just not the same. And then once they get there, then you can do whatever. But right now they can't get there. We saw this incredible thing that Kyle Larson did this year, and it sparked a lot of conversation. And you and I talked a little bit about it at the last Eldora race. Could anybody get, um, could anybody late model driver get in a sprint car right now and go win a world of outlaw sprint car race? I think we might disagree on this, but I'm not exactly sure. I adamantly said no. I said, I truly do not believe that none of our guys, and I'm a late model guy to the bone, on their first attempt, like Larson did, could get in a sprint car and go win a World of Outlaw sprint car race. But I did say I think Tim McCready is the closest. Am I right about both of those things? Could none of our guys well, do it? And are you the closest? <laughs> it could do it. Um, it. It all depends on how you, like, honestly, it really depends on how you're going to do it. Are you going to do it the way that I did my late model career, which is show up at Sweeteners when I wasn't even hired there and say, oh, look at that late model in the corner. Can I go race it? And Vic's <laughs> like, yeah, take it to Eldora if you want. And that's how I started my late model career. I didn't, uh, if anything, Kyle Larson, I give him credit. He's very smart on, how he chooses to do things. And, and what I mean by that is, is that he lined himself up with Kevin Rumbly, which obviously we all know how, how Kevin is. He's, he's one of the best at setups and, and just building a car. If you're going to have a, to go to one race and have a guy in your corner to have a few months to do it, he, he's the guy. And, uh, and, and then he also, you know, tested a little bit and he didn't just come in cold Turkey. So it was smart. I mean, everything he did was he put himself in his best position he could to show out and, and he did. Um, I can't sit here and say that it made everybody happy because why would it, you know, and I wouldn't expect them to be happy if I went to Knoxville and, and beat him at Knoxville. But personally, if you're going to tell me, can I drive his 57 car at the Knoxville nationals? If he's still winning, like he was this year, next year, I feel like I'd have as good a shot as anybody. I mean, I went to the chili bowl in my second ever time in a midget and won that. So it's, I think if you put yourself in the right position, you take the top 20 dudes in the country, they can succeed. They're professional race car drivers for a reason. So you think so? You think you could hop in that 57 car, and obviously you know better than I do, and you could go at Knoxville and be competitive? Um, I mean, if I did it the way they did and tested for a few times in a month and really took, took my time and focused on it, yeah, but I don't see why not. I mean, 
I've been able to, uh, now can I beat them guys? I'm not going to sit here and tell you that. I think if things go my way and the track's right, it's no different. I, I mean, I've already done it. I did it 15 years ago at the Chili Bowl. I mean, nobody knew who I was. And I rolled in there with Steve Smith, an Australian car owner who wasn't Keith Coons and he wasn't Andy Bondio and he wasn't any of them guys. And we just basically went about our own business. I mean, Mike Hess can sit there and tell you the world outlaw uh, race director. He was parked right next to us and actually five minutes before the feature changed the right rear bar for us. And, uh, we went out and won. So it, it's, I think the best in the country, I'm not just saying late models, I'm saying in the country, if you give them a chance to succeed and things go their way, I think anything's possible. Now the year that this Larson's having is, um, is as good as anything I've seen, but it, that doesn't mean, like I told everybody, unfortunately, since this chili bowl win, I've left with my tail between my legs about two <laughs> down there. So it's, you know, things can happen. Things can definitely happen, but you can never take it away to kids. Uh, he seems to be very um, good hearted and, and very respectful of people. And he's trying hard and that's all you can do is uh, tip your hat. And, and hopefully like when he races with us at the end of the month, I'll have a little bit faster car than we had the last time. Hopefully. One reason I said, I think you could be the guy that wins in a sprint car race and you touched on it was the chili bowl win. Now, obviously I know that a midget in the expo center is different from a four ten sprint car at Port Royal. I know sprint car people are going to go crazy when I say that, but I was drawing on something, and I wanted to circle back to the Chili Bowl. You had that wreck there in 2009. It was a burst fracture of your T3 vertebrae. Uh, it really, it, at that time, really changed your career. I don't think people truly appreciate how bad that back injury was. Take me through that a little bit, Tim, because it was it was a bad back injury when you flipped out of the park at the Chili Bowl, um, something you still feel the effects of today, right? Yeah, I mean... The fortunate part was I didn't have to have surgery. And so when you hear that, people think, oh, it's no big deal then if you didn't have surgery. But where that bone, where my bone is broke, which is, like I said, it's still, it's it's come back together, but it's like obviously a morphodite or whatever bone or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't look normal like it used to. And um, some days it bothers me, some days it doesn't. But uh, that's that's an injury that most people have if they're working on a roof or they're in construction and they fall off a ladder. And, and then from the neck down, they're paralyzed. Like, it's a weird deal when you're laying in the hospital bed and, and the, the doctor comes in and they don't know nothing about what I do. They, yeah. they don't understand. They think it's a hobby and things like that. And, and they, and they basically say, well, you're going to have to give up your hobby because uh, you, you got very lucky. Like 90, 90% to 95% of the people that have this injury are paralyzed from the neck down. And then I'm like, doc, man, this is what I do for a living. He's like, why would you ever want to do that? Like, is it like his next, next idea of it and it's like it's just a culture shock so when they told me hey man you can't do nothing for seven or eight months that's what i did and and like i said um when they when they said it healed they didn't think there'd be any issues but i still have small issues i mean my hands get numb and there's but everybody's got problems dude so it's not that big of a deal but i will say uh i think it took a while for me to race race maybe as good as i was or better you just because not so much in the bigger cars. When I went back to the Chili Bowl, to this day I still sometimes don't feel as um, as aggressive aggressive as I'd like to be. But that's that's life too. I think everybody goes through that. You think, and you're just because of what happened there in '09. You don't maybe that last five percent aggression you don't have. You're saying. Well, I mean, these cars are different, man. They're little, and I don't fit in them very good. Even though I'm not a huge dude, and uh. They just, they're just different. And, um, when you, when you go back there and, and you've had, I mean, we had obviously some fundraisers and I, and everybody, it's no secret. I didn't have insurance. And everybody's like, why don't you have insurance? I'm like, Hey man, I was in my mid, 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 late, early thirties. I mean, I wasn't worried about insurance. I wasn't worried about anything. And, and, uh, so there's a lot of people that did a lot for me. And then when I started talking about going back, they were just kind of like, why would you want to do that? You've already won the race you've run up front a lot. You have nothing to prove. And I'm like, well, I, I just need to go back out there. It's really me. It's like, how do you not ever go back and do something that was, you know, one of my probably best nights of my life was when we won there and the people that were there and, and then you go back and you have an injury and then you never go back. I just, especially when you have the ability to go back, I just thought that's not what I'm going to do. And, uh, and every year I feel like I've uh, got a little better, a little better and more aggressive. And, and now I don't notice it as bad, but I'm sure subconsciously it's got to be in the back of my mind hey don't just uh slide over the top of uh whoever's nose because you might hook a cushion and go out of the place yeah. but all in all i mean i've had good success since i've been back but it's like i've told you before i don't go out there to just 
overcome my problems. I go out there to, to win. And that's, you know, that hasn't been easy either. So it's been a little frustrating out there too. I mean, no matter what I decide to do in racing wise, uh, the frustration level is the same. Like I felt every bit as angry when I raced down South and pavement cars when it didn't go my way. Literally a perfect transition to what I want to talk to you about next. You went to Charlotte in 2007. You got an opportunity to run some pavement stuff. Uh, you drove for Childress as part of that GM developmental deal. You ran a couple ARCA races, uh, six Xfinity races, a couple of K&N races. Uh, but it was a unique situation because you weren't an 18-year-old kid at the time, right? You you didn't have a ton of financial backing that you know everybody has to go to Charlotte with now. You were one of the last guys that kind of got a shot, quote-unquote, uh, because of your talent. Um, just when you reflect on that Charlotte period of your life running the pavement stuff, how, how do you reflect on it? Um, you know, uh, grateful for the chance and, uh, and not overly happy about the situation just because I don't feel like that, uh, it is more on me. Like, listen, dude, here's what I'll tell you about myself. I don't pin anybody on my problems. Uh, my problems are solely created by myself most of the time and, and probably all the time. So you go down there and I don't know anything about it. Like there's so many crazy stories about how that went down there. And it wasn't a knock on Richard Childress or, or anybody, but like they didn't know, they had never done a development program. They'd always farmed it out. So I went out there and flew Bill McAnally out in California and all these things. And then Bill decided he didn't want to do it. So they put cars together in the shop. And uh, a man named uh, Bobby Leslie, who was the crew chief for Mark Martin back in the day, uh, the one Dixie car. He was at Childress's and uh, he was my guy. Like he was, and we would go up and the cars were in the dirt shop with Shane McDowell and we'd spend half the day working on that. And then, uh, you know, if I hung out with Shane at night or whatever, it's just, it was just, I just don't think that I knew how to help these guys. And that's, that's probably the most frustrating with, with anything as a driver. You're out there and you're trying your best and the crew guys or the crew chiefs like, Hey, what do you think? And I'm like, man, I feel loose. And they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I know that I turned the wheel right at the end of the straightaway when I left. I don't turn it left. Like, and, and, you know, we're not on a road course here. And they're like, well, I don't think you, I don't think you're too tight. I think you're spinning the tires. And I'm like, man, I don't feel like it because I've, I've never raced on pavement before. But I feel like I couldn't spin the tires if I had. <laughs> and make a long story short, you know, you get, you get tire sheets. They, you pull in, you get these temperatures and this thing would read 30 degrees hot on the right rear. And when I raced back with my dad, we had the, you know, we took tire, you know, tire temps everywhere we went. That was bad. And I'd be like, Hey man, isn't this bad? 30 degrees at the right rear. And they're like, ah, don't worry about that. So I don't think they knew how to help either. It just was a crazy, a crazy deal, man. Like I've told people, I, I don't know how many times I went to back out of the garage area and put it in first instead of reverse. <laughs> bumped into the poor guy that was backing me out, you know? So it's uh, a lot of it was just, I don't think, I know I was in my thirties, man, but I don't think I was um, mature enough or smart enough to know what I needed out of a race car, like for that stuff. Well, if I went back tomorrow, I, I could handle it right now without a doubt. But that's life. I, a couple follow-ups to that because there's a question I want to ask you, and I'm, I think I'm phrasing this the right way. What do you make of the Charlotte scene, the NASCAR scene? And I'm using that term on purpose because I do believe sometimes it is as much about the scene down there as it is racing. I'd like your honest opinion on that. There's like sort of this bizarre subculture of NASCAR in Charlotte that I don't know that a lot of people like me or you are cut out for or love. What, what do you make of all that? Well, I guess it depends on which scene you're talking about. I mean, if you're talking about... uh like the things we go through that, that I hear cup drivers talk about, or I hear Bush guys talk about like, Oh, the grind, you don't understand the grind. And, and granted, I didn't get to do, I did some press conferences and some autograph sessions, but we've done some of that stuff too, at a smaller level before I went down there. And I don't know the grind. I mean, I left uh, last night or Sunday night or excuse me, Saturday night from the Jackson 100 nine and a half hours from home and i got here at noon just a little afternoon so i slept for an hour and a half as one of my buddies was driving and he had to go to ohio and i drove the rest of the way so um when i was doing the stuff down south we'd run a bush race at milwaukee at uh get done about 10 30 milwaukee time and jump on a private plane get free food and, and there's like a six pack of beer if you wanted it and next thing you do you land and it's still 12 o'clock back where you're at and you could go to last call or, or wherever you wanted to do for the rest of the night so that part of it 
I don't understand that grinding part of it because if you're going to get in the plane and be anywhere in the country in six hours, that's that's easy. That's the life. But um, I think the pressure, like those cars when you drive them are so uneasy to drive and you never can see it as a as a person because they just don't get sideways a lot and they don't they just don't move around like I car, our cars and you can't physically see a guy man up in them cars like like we do like you can see a guy all of a sudden pick it up in the late model and the scene though you know you gotta there's a lot of you just don't know if you don't know your way you just don't know who you're supposed to be buddies with and everybody's kind of competitive I mean I was very close with Clint down there and, and, and Kevin Harvick was really close he went he would try to help me as much as possible. And, and even Burton, all of them, all the guys, Scott Wimmer, they were all trying to help me. I mean, there was times where I have all four of them on the radio. Mike Doan is my spotter and Richard Childress on the radio also. And it was just a cluster, man. You can't have all them people telling you how to drive or what to do. And it was, and it was all cause they were trying, they all liked me, but I, it was bad time. And like I said before, uh, Guys like me and Shannon and that, we're, we're at the wrong age for something like that. We were too young when we were good, and now you're supposedly too old when you're good. So I, <laughs> I guess it's just a weird, weird deal, man. It's well, just a, but I don't – I just wish I would have ran better. That's all. And I say this all the time about NASCAR. It, it bums me out because one of the main – I guess I look at it this way. In the NFL, in the NBA, in Major League Baseball, you cannot fake it. Once you strap up and get on that field or that court, it's not about how much sponsorship money a family member or an associate brought. It is about pure, raw talent on that NFL football field and your ability to perform. American professional sports are very special in that way. I don't know that that's the case in NASCAR anymore. I don't believe that the best drivers in the world are in NASCAR anymore. I think what you, I think what you guys do on Fridays and Saturdays, sprint cars, late models, whatever, takes more raw talent when what than what they do. Maybe I'm wrong about that, as you were talking about guys manning up in the car, but if I'm right about that, Tim, isn't that kind of sad in a way? And is there a way to fix that, or is it just too late? Um, I don't know. I mean, every time you think there's, every time you think there's no chance that somebody can come through and bu- bust through the bubble and do it, I, I mean, who's, what, what way is the right way? Like, is it is it is a bad deal that a a parent who has gone out and made all of his money or her money and they want to put all their support behind their family member to make it in life? I don't think anybody would say that's bad. That's I think that's what you strive for as a as a parent. But as a driver, I'm like, man, I really wish that they would give more guys a chance to have no money. Well, then you turn around and you look and you say, these teams are operating with hundred hundred crew members with families and they got to take care of them and. Yeah. With Richard Childress, man, it was a business decision. Like, he honestly brought me in his office, and he said, man, I really like you. I always have. I appreciate where your dad came from. But here's the thing. If this car is not sponsored, I can't just continually put it out there. So I'm going to hire Bobby Labonte to run uh, so many races that hopefully we get a sponsor, and, and you'll race. And, and, and that was just kind of how it went. And uh, how can you fault a guy for being honest? I mean, no, I don't like the ending part as far as contracts and not being able to maybe do something else and stuff like that. That's unfortunately some of the bad things. Some people lose their chance because they're contracted to be at this team and there's nothing for them, but they don't get out. And, you know, and that happened to me a little bit, but I didn't have a ton of offers, but still it's like, I think that, I don't know, you, you know, you have to run them teams as a business and it's gotten so out of whack with money and how much it costs to do that stuff down there. And, and that's probably part of their own fault. I mean, I can't say and tell you that I'm not guilty of the minute I made a little bit of money that I splurged on things and then woke up six years later and said, Oh my God, why am I broke? <laughs> so it's, it's like, so it's one of those deals. I mean, I have, I'm a mixed emotions, man. Part of me is angry about the deal. Um, I know I got a lot of flack from people up here. Like obviously back then I used to read the internet a little bit. I, I gave up on reading the internet 10 plus years ago or, or more because it made me, no matter what I saw in there, it made me feel bad. So I'm like, why would I want to continue to read a message board? So I gave up on all that and it made my life a thousand times better. So back then I'd catch flack. I just catch flack. Oh, yes, you know, he's in Kevin Harvick's car and he only ran 20th. And it's like, yeah, that was my third ever time on pavement in my career. I went from a five horsepower Briggs and Stratton to a 358 modified to a late model to a, a cup car or a bush car. I'm like, man, I, how about that? How about a little bit of ease up on everybody here, you know, but that's, you know, you got to be a big boy in the sport. And that's what I learned. I learned to cancel out the noise and do the best I could with my guys around me. 
we're getting here towards the end, Tim. Last couple of things. I, I did a count. I've interviewed you over 115 times in your career. And other than Kevin Kovacs, surely nobody's interviewed you more than that. <laughs> and I alluded to this in the beginning about your honesty, but also your emotion. I know you, and I know you well enough to know that when you're having... I, I can see it in the pits, right? A good emotional day or a bad emotional day. And I'm very similar. People can read it on my face also. Is that something... I don't know if struggled is the right word, but is that something you've dealt with your whole life? Kind of that roller coaster of emotions? Because I'm being honest with you, I'm like that. I, I think my emotions are high or low and rarely in the middle. Have you kind of just been that way your whole life? Yeah, I mean, I, I was that way growing up in sports and just doing things in the neighborhood and, and whatever. I was probably, they probably thought I was a lunatic and, and out of control <laughs> most days. Because, like, I just believe, and, and granted, like, I'm, I get more reserved nowadays with certain things. And, and Phil can tell you, my crew chief, Phil, I mean, he's been with me before he was a crew chief with me since 2017. He was around us before he even turned 21. He was, he was out hanging out with us, trying to see if he could sneak into a bar when he was underage, you know, which I don't want to put that out that I was doing. He was with <laughs> other I just happened to be there, but uh, he, you know, it, it's just, it's just one of those deals. And, and I just have tried to be better, but yeah, I, um, I don't know. I don't know. You can't bottle stuff up in life. Yeah. Like if you bottle it up and you bottle it up and you bottle it up, next thing you know, it'd be nothing to be coming home from work or whatever and just take a left and drive through your front door with a truck, I feel like. So at this point, why not let it out? Like why? It's, and it's just with me, it is an immediate explosion for, and it's really not an explosion at anybody. It's, it's just an explosion. And it's always because I don't know how to help. Like that's the hardest thing for me to do as a driver a crew guy when I help or anything is to look, whether it's Phil or Kevin or Jeff, any of my guys, JC who's been helping us in the eye and say, I don't know how to lead you guys. Like I'm done. I, I really don't even know what to do. I mean, that helpless feeling I hate having and, and then, and I just don't know how to handle it the right way probably, but the happy feelings, I'm the exact opposite. So I guess it's a roller coaster ride. If you're going to hang out with me one way or the other, good or bad. One thing that kept coming up when I talked to people about you, and I do a lot of research for these, um, was this statement. And this two different people I talked to before I did this interview said this, no one's harder on Tim McCready than Tim McCready. But I told him, I said, don't worry, I'm going to fix this problem. <laughs> I want you to take a step back and I want you to look at your career. Not only the laundry list of accomplishments you've got, but the fact that people like me, I'm not a car expert, Tim, but I am a dirt late model expert. I am a racing expert. I believe that. I know plenty about this stuff. I'm telling you, you are one of the two or three most talented people in this industry. So knowing that, knowing that you've won all these races, you've won the Chili Bowl, you've won all these crown jewels, people like me are telling you you're one of the two or three best ever. Can we put that to bed finally? You don't need to be hard on yourself anymore. I want you to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to move on from that. Can, can we accomplish that today? Uh, I'd, like, I'd love to, man. And, uh, <laughs> I just, I'm a realist though. Like, you know... This deal, no matter how much I want to believe it can last forever, is going to end. And usually, if you're not prepared for the ending, it's going to end bad for the driver. Like, I don't mean it in a bad way. That's just the world we live in. Someday, if I decide to race, say I'm trying to race at 70, and you're like, what is this guy doing out here? And then I'm broke, and then everything else is going wrong, and I step away, they're going to be have such a bad taste in their mouth for what happened the last 20 years of my career where I could have just hung out and tried to it's just the way this thing is. It's any sport. Like when you're gone, you're gone. And, and uh, I just don't want to be that guy that's, that's doing it. So I'm very hard on myself. And I appreciate you saying, you guys all saying how good I am. Um, I can also say, well, man, you know, I need to win more races then. Like nine <laughs> is cool. You, you know, Sheppy's got over 20 and probably again. <laughs> so it's like, what am I doing wrong? That doesn't make me as good as him. That's kind of how I, I, uh, I, I adjust myself. So it's, and and that's how you stay humble, I guess, is to realize that, hey, man, guess what? Uh, the Jackson's over with, and we're going to Raceway 7 in Pittsburgh, and, and no matter who's there, they're going to they're gonna try to step on our throat and hold us down. So we we got to pick it up. We, in, we end every Rigsby report with true or false, but I've got one question before we get to true or false. Last thing. I want to talk about fatherhood quickly. Um, every single person I talked to about you talked about what an amazing dad you are, and I mean that. All six or seven people to your kids, Gavin and Cambria, that when you are home, 
You're not only playing video games. I mean, you're doing you're doing hair with your daughter. You are super involved, incredible dad. Which I love the image of you doing Cambria's hair. By the way, I'd really like to see that. Actually, the yeah. sta- the statement was made that the kids are his world. Uh, the kids are Tim's world. Just how true is that, Tim? And, and just just talk about fatherhood a little bit because it sounds like, from all accounts, you're a hell of a dad. Well, I appreciate that. Uh... I'm sure I'm going to have to uh, buy some dinner for these people to keep telling you all these nice things so, uh, <laughs> to, to keep my wrap up or something here. But uh, I um and listen, make no mistake. Karen does so much when I'm gone and keeps everything going and all that good stuff. So then when I come home, it's just tough. I mean, w- w- it's not fair to my kids that, and I know everybody's like, just bring your kids. It, where I live and the way we do it, it's not that easy. We, we don't live near the race team and, and we do, do things together as a family and we also try to go to certain races and it's probably stuff that nobody in the late model world will ever see because i just don't think it's uh right or want to take my kids 15 hours in a car or whatever when they can't even enjoy themselves so when we come home we try to do things as a family and and i just try to help out that's all i do she does the majority of the work still man i just try to help out uh you know, not for nothing, like, you know, a crazy story, even about today, like I've been on the phone with you for how long? And I have wiped one kid's rear end after, <laughs> after using the toilet, right when we're on the phone. So I guess if I'm talented enough to, to clean, clean my kid's rear ends as we're on the phone, then I'm doing okay. I want to be clear about this. During this interview, you wiped a poopy butt. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yes, I did. And then I had, had, uh, had him, it was, unfortunately it's Gavin. He's, he's, he still needs a little help. So I was in there. <laughs> When I was on the phone with you, and he uh, he took care of the flushing and then washing his hands and everything else after that, I just uh, I knew that something was going to pop up during this, and if that's the that what happened, you guys didn't even notice, then we're doing good. Listen, I have to do the same thing to Suave. I have to do it to Derek all the time. I have to wipe his butt during interviews all the time. Okay, I'm going to finish strong because you've got a busy day. True or false? We had all these these are shorter questions, shorter answers from you. True or false? You, tell me true or false, but give me a little context. First question: True or false? The Chili Bowl is the biggest short track race in America. True or false? Uh, boy. Uh, yeah, I guess you'd say true, and I think it's only because nothing else is going on. I mean, so you have an ability to crossbreed uh, divisions. That's that probably, but if it was an off-road truck race, it'd be the same. It's just circumstances have made it really big, and, and, um, and just, like I said, when nothing's happening in the country, it's easy to get focused on that, but uh, yeah. it's probably the most popular race. I wouldn't say the biggest, but probably the most popular. True or false? You are a damn good high school hockey player. I was, uh, I'd say true, except for I was a grinder. You know, I'd go in there and <laughs> I was a grinder. I was rough and I was, uh, and I was, I got to be captain my senior year, which the craziest thing about high school hockey up here is it allowed you to uh, swear at referees and things like that that you could never do in any other sport. Like, <laughs> And and just it's just hockey was uh, what we grew up on up here. I mean, I was I'm probably well, I'm definitely closer to Montreal than I am to uh, New York City. So I don't I, when I say when you say good, uh, it's I'd say third line, you know, checking line guy. That's what I am. I think you're being modest, but okay. Uh, true or false? Uh, this is this is by the way. I'm just going to tell you this is a, this is from Kovac, right? So this is some debate about whether this is true or false. You did go to college for one year, but you decided you couldn't stay or couldn't stay in college because you partied too hard. That was Kovac's exact quote. Is that correct? <laughs> um, I, I uh, yes and no. When you don't when you don't go anywhere, it's like so you're in high school and you're doing all this stuff. And my my life was racing in the weekends, so we spent time in hotel rooms and and all that. And so I I leave home to go do school down in Utica, New York, and uh and play hockey. Like that was it. The the coach said, Hey, come on down here. And it was a, it was a community college, a two year school. So, but they had a full blown team. That was a, was a really good team at the time. And, and, um, you just don't realize that the, the, um, professors, they don't even care if you get up. So like, that's like, that's just tough. Like he, he, all of a sudden you wake <laughs> up and it's like nine o'clock in the morning and you've decided to be out too late. And you're like, well, you know what? I can pick up that English class, maybe just go in later, do something. And, Next thing you know, you wake up halfway through the first semester and you've got a lot of uh, C's and incompletes and D's and then the coach is <laughs> on you and, and then you, you're going to buckle down. You know, like I told everybody, I've told everybody, I have lived way younger than I should. Uh, you're going to buckle down, you're going to do this. and Then you wake up at the end of semester and you can't even play hockey anymore because you didn't do the work. So right. I've had a lot of fall downs in my life to realize that uh, 
you got to do the work and put the time in, in anything. So it's, uh, I guess it was good. I wanted to be a hockey player more than a race car driver and it didn't work out. So the race car deal is cool, but yeah, it's, uh, I wouldn't say I fell out drunk. I, just <laughs> that, uh, I didn't do, I just didn't get up and put the time and you can go out all night long as a college student. If you do all the work the next day, sure. Heck, true. a lot of people would probably waste more than I have done that. That is true. Um, last couple here, true or false. You, you worked on combat helicopters at one point. That's what was your job, right? Was combat helicopters. That's true, right? Yeah, I worked at a place back then was named uh, Lear Siegler out at uh, Fort Drum outside of Watertown, which is a uh, 10th Mountain Division. You hear about all over the all over the TV whenever they send the army somewhere. Yeah. And, uh, they were they were military attack helicopters like Cobras and 58s, which are not attack copters, but Cobras 58s and some Hueys and stuff like that. And that's how I started racing. Like. Our family, we weren't broke, but my dad was racing all the time, and I was running go-karts basically the same way, just borrowing stuff and going and racing all over the East Coast by myself, and uh, I got in my mid-20s, and I'm like, man, I'd like to race, but I have no money, and and, there, and I was doing all these odd jobs, whether it was a busboy over here or just doing anything, working for my dad part-time, and I just woke up one day, and a guy said, hey, there's a chance to go work out this place with full health, full dental, and very good pay. And so I did it. So the first like three, four years I raced, I was working tons of hours. Like I'd work, you start off at a 40 hour work week. And then by the end of the contract, you might be working 72 hours a week. So, but I was racing too. So it's like I said, when I had all them checks piled up, that's partly why it's because I was racing and working that job and, and yeah, I worked there for a while. And then finally one day I was missing so much time that the bosses were like, look at, we can't, you took like six weeks off this year. We can't <laughs> for racing. You can't, can't keep doing it. And they're like, well, do you want to, do you want to uh, get laid off? And I'm like, yeah, why not? And it's crazy, dude. The last day I worked there, I left early. I, it was like noon. We were sitting there and I said, do you really want me to work till four o'clock? And they're like, you really going to leave early on your last day? Said, why not, man? And they're like, yeah, go ahead. So I left. I still see the guys, but had a lot of them tell me that I'd be back, and I told all of them that that'll never happen. I'm going to try to make it at this race, and hopefully you'll never see me at this place again. Final true or false question, final question of this interview. The Buffalo Bills are 3-0. and True or false, the Bills will win the Super Bowl this year, McCready? Oh, I, I don't want to jinx them, so I'm not going to answer. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't want to jinx them. I'll tell you this. Uh, it's been exciting to watch. Last weekend was a little bit up and down like my career. I up to a 28-point lead and then give it all back and, and almost lose the game and then get lucky at the end. So I guess you could sum that game up like kind of how my career's done. <laughs> are, you, are we on the Josh Allen train, by the way, or no? I was always on his train. You want to know why, man? That guy is a guy that, yeah, he's had talent and he's got beat down and he played at a small school and got his ass kicked every week. And I just think that it's like an under, in my opinion, those are the guys I root for. The guys that are working so hard and you see them going at it. And, and next thing you know, everybody's against them. And that, that's kind of my deal. I like the underdog. I'm not a Yankee fan or any of that crazy <laughs> stuff up here. I'm, I'm, I'm against the Yankees and against all these teams that have just juggernauts of everything. So it's, it's cool to root for the guy that nobody wanted to do good. Well, I see it all the time on Facebook and Twitter, but I do believe I, I do believe that I'm the first person to ever say this, that the world is a better place when Tim McCready wins a race. I should have copyrighted it back in the day when I came up with that <laughs> saying, but I mean it, man. You, you have a certain it factor about you that has made Dirt Late Model Racing better, uh, and we are all better off for you having made the decision to come our way about 15 years ago. I do mean that. And and I think, like I said, on pure talent, you are one of the five best race car drivers in America. And uh, thank you for doing this interview with me, bud. I appreciate it. And uh, and thank you for all you've done for the sport of dirt late mile racing. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, man. Uh, we're going to finish up, but first, uh, something from Integra. With years of racing knowledge and countless wins, Integra has proven one thing. I love it. The old Al Davis Raiders. Just win, baby. At Integra Racing Shocks, our customers stay on the leading edge of technology, and our results speak for themselves. With a dedicated group of engineers and shock specialists, Integra continues to provide the knowledge and resources to win. You want to be the last one loaded? Join the Integra team today. I want to thank Tim McCready for that solid 50 minutes he just gave me. I told him it was going to be 20 to 30. 
uh, and he went 50. So I appreciate it. Wiping poopy butts during the interview, too. It's impressive. Uh, thank you, Timmy, for that. A programming note. If you are a Dirt on Dirt subscriber, you may have forgotten or not done this yet, but you now get access to Flow Racing with your DOD account. You don't have to have two subscriptions. You only need one. With DOD, you get Flow Racing and that's fantastic. Email our customer support department if you haven't claimed your account already, but you need to. For 150 bucks, you get all of Dirt on Dirt and all of Flow Racing. It is easily the best bang for your buck in all of motorsports, so please do that. Also, download our app, the Flow Racing app. I can already tell you that next year, all of the live events are going to be on Flow Racing. There will be no live events on DOD. DOD will remain your home for Dirt Late Model news, highlights, photos, breaking news, all that. But the live events will all be live on Flow, just because the app is incredible. It's just better than DODs for mobile viewing, for Roku, for all of those things. So live events will be there exclusively on Flow, uh, maybe at the end of this year, but likely starting next year. Uh, the Rigsby Report will return in more frequency now that the season is taming down a little bit. I said before I wanted to do Kyle Larson, but our friends at Flow, the content team, have done so much with Kyle that I'm thinking Larry Moore. I mean, Larry is a tell-it-like-it-is, no-nonsense dude. I'd like to have Larry on, I think. Uh, so we'll see if that's next. Thank you, everybody who listened. Uh, let me know your top 10, by the way. Hit me up on Twitter, at MFR, Dirt on Dirt. Gun to your head. Top 10 tracks you could see a race at the rest of your life if you were only given 10. Hit me up on Twitter, at MFR, Dirt on Dirt. Uh, we'll be back soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.